Okay. No, it's fine. No, well, Pastor David had said this morning that uh, he was looking forward to hearing it today. So we're going to record like we do every Sunday. So he's definitely going to get to hear it. Oh, is that what it was? I hadn't even started yet putting people to sleep. Wow. Gotcha. Well, if you hear a little grumbling, you know, up here, I, I skipped breakfast in, in anticipation for potlucks, so that's why, that's, and that's not distracting at all, so. Oh, okay. Well, we won't, we won't go. Okay. Three pastors go on a fishing trip. One of them said, since we are all alone here with God, perhaps we can tell each other our greatest sins. And this would help our guilt and perhaps allow us to overcome our mistakes. So the other two agree and one begins, well, I'm an alcoholic. Every Sunday I look forward to the end of the sermon to go home and drink my bottle of whiskey. The second preacher says, I love women. Every Sunday I look forward to the end of church to go flirt with a pretty young thing at the bar. And the third, the one who proposed the confession, says... Well, I love gossip, and this Sunday I cannot wait to get back to town. So I want to I want to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, we're going to start in James three, three through twelve. Just something I was reading, and and you know we know perhaps many of us know this passage, but it kind of hit me a little bit harder. Something that maybe convicted me a little bit. Something that we deal with very very often. But we're going to start in verse three. It says, now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds and are still, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire and the tongue is the fire the very world of iniquity the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell for every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race but no one can tame the tongue it is a restless evil and full of deadly poison with it we bless our lord and father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. So we're going to talk a little bit about gossip is, is usually how we know it. It's not really well defined, I don't think, um, all the time, even in the church, and even more poorly practiced, I would say. But uh, and, and that's not just the church; that's also in the world around us. It's something as common to mankind as the, as the noses on our face, uh, and something even the writers of the Bible say we are to have no part of. Uh, but even in the church, we seem to struggle to eliminate it from our lives. But I wanted to go into it a little bit. So, is it gossip? What is gossip? I read somewhere somebody said, uh, we don't like to refer to it as, as gossiping. We simply consider it sharing our opinions about the other pe person's uh, life choices. 
just sharing opinions. To quote an article written by Pastor Matt Mitchell, he said, gossiping can be fun and addictive and provide a short burst of guilty pleasure. The book of Proverbs likens the words of a gossip to delicious morsels, a tasty treat that promises delight to those who indulge. We get bored and we want to entertain ourselves by snacking on the shameful stories of other people's lives. And just the gossip mill is an industry in our culture, by the way. And not, it's not just for the tabloids anymore. It's, it's everywhere. I, I would hate to be a celebrity, to have everybody just <laughs> dial in on my life with a microscope just to tell everybody else to make a dollar off of it. But um, yeah, we, we, uh, we want to entertain ourselves by snacking on the shameful stories of other people's lives. Or we get proud that we know something that someone else doesn't and want to show off our inside scoop. Or we get mad and crave the satisfaction of character assassination from afar, sniping at our enemies when they don't even know they're in danger. Does it sound familiar to anyone? In a, there was a 10-year study among about 1,100 churches, and it was found, of, among other things, that 61% of people that left their last church over that 10-year span uh, did so because of a conflict with another member resulting from gossip or strife that would not stop, was not true, or was not properly dealt with. Now, I've heard gossip defined as anything that you might say about someone that leads others to have a more negative opinion of that person. That's, that's a good place to start. I don't think that probably goes quite far enough in, in defining what gossip truly is from what the Bible says. Now, the Bible doesn't have a single verse that defines it. It does, however, describe the many characteristics of, of gossip or what it would call slander. And so we're going to look at a few this morning to hopefully identify it more quickly, not just in other people, but mostly importantly in us, to hopefully tame that little, that little fire that tends to spread. So these little clues that the Bible gives us should help us spot gossip and, and keep us mindful to avoid it. I would say the first clue, clue number one, when asking yourself, is it gossip, is to ask the question, is it yours to tell? Is it your story to tell? In Proverbs 20, verse 19, talks about a man, and he says, He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with the gossip. One common misconception, I would say, and I'll just make this point quickly, uh, in the modern way of the way we use the, the term slander, is that it has to be false to be slander. It has to be false to be gossip. Um, but that's not how the Bible defines it. There are a great many true things that can be considered gossip. As a matter of fact, it clearly states in, in the verse that we just read that a slanderer carries secrets, um, which would lead you to believe that is probably true, a true secret, not necessarily falsehoods. And it says that slander and a gossip, it's the same thing in the eyes of God. The one thing that I'm, I'm not going to really focus on today, and I just mentioned it, was the truthfulness aspect of, of gossip. It should go without saying that your words should be true. You shouldn't spread things that aren't true. But I'm going to just say 100% sure that most malicious gossip has truth in it. So we're just going to go on the assumption that the gossip I'm referring today might be true, not false. If it's false, we know, of course, we have no place in, in spreading lies. The issue with the Bible points out in Proverbs 20 is that the insinuation here is that the problem with the slander is that the secrets are not yours. Uh, but rather, there's somebody else's secrets. And therein lies the, the issue. 
the problem is whatever you're saying is is not something that the other person has made known and you're not speaking it with their knowledge or permission but rather doing so behind their back and i've had it done to me i, I you've all had it done to you and we've probably well definitely we've all either either intentionally or unintentionally done it to other people it's easy to do sometimes we just want to be understood uh, we want to vent we want to just talk but we have to be very careful because one of the biggest reasons gossip is so destructive is that when you talk about or for another person the it's an incomplete communication so I may talk to somebody face to face you know in a conversation and share my thoughts with them but I'm communicating not just with words I have the context of our relationship I have my body language I may say it with a smile somebody else relaying the story may not do so I also have the context of the whole conversation and if somebody has a question to clarify what it is I just said I can answer that I can explain what I mean if there's any confusion when you carry tales about another person you don't give them the opportunity to do that you're only providing partial and probably in a lot of cases incomplete or completely wrong picture because you're not able to communicate fully and you very well could end up damaging both parties in Psalms 15 verse 3 it says he does not slander with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor nor takes up reproach against his friend speaking about the the man that uh, that God likes to associate with and it says here he does not take up reproach against his friend the verse is indicating that the reproach is not his he's taking up a reproach it's not one that that's been brought to him it's somebody else's reproach he takes it up as his own he takes offense for another person so clue number one if you're spilling tea that isn't your own as the young kids would say these days you might be a gossip if it's not yours to tell that's an indicator that might be gossip clue number two is does it start a fire we look back at James uh, 3 5 through 6 it says so also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things see how great a force to set aflame by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire the very world of iniquity the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell so the fire analogy I think is, is great of James to use is a super good analogy for describing what the tongue can do uh, fire is a super useful thing right for cooking for warmth for disinfecting for manufacturing you know smelting of metals and other purposes fire is super important super useful but only when it's contained and controlled the same goes for our words when fire when it's not controlled a tiny out-of-place flame or a spark can grow into a wildfire with insane speed it takes no time at all words are the same way and uh, you don't have to be the one adding all of the flame to the fire for the record to be responsible for starting it you may think well I wasn't the one out of control spreading the stories everywhere I only I only told one person well you you only lit a match and you dropped it in a field of dry grass and it lit and took off and spread out of control so there's one takeaway from today only you can stop forest fires 
you know, you can be the place where it stops. It may get out outside of you, but you don't have to be the one in control. I, I had recently heard a, uh, well, I, I say recently, there's been instances all over my life where, where there's been situations like this, but I had, I had heard a story from someone who said that someone else had told them that they had heard from a third person that a fourth person was talking badly about the second person. And if you count me only being the fifth person in that line of, of conversation that I know of, you can see real quickly how things get around. So the person first in line may or may not have said something about, you know, about the, the third person. Maybe, maybe it wasn't bad, but they definitely shouldn't have told it to the second person because the second person immediately ran to the third person. And the third person did not go back to the first person to clarify, but instead told a fourth. And uh, they told somebody else, and I overheard the conversation, and now you all know. So, you know, just you see how quickly that goes. And I don't really want to hear the, well, you know, if what I'm sharing is true and they did it, well, it's kind of their fault, right? It's, it's, not, my, it's not my fault they did it to themselves. So we're not talking about whether what they did that you're talking about is right or wrong. Again, it could be truthful. They may have done something very bad, but it's, we're talking today about your place in the chain reaction, the gossip mill, and whether or not it's your responsibility to let it get past you or decide that the buck stops with you. It may get out of control anyway, but don't let your hand be the one lighting the matches and spreading the fire. So I would say clue number two, does it start a fire? Is it gossip? Well, if you're part in letting the cat out of the bag uh, that wasn't even yours and it led to the news spreading unchecked like fire, then it might be gossip. Clue number three that I find is, does it harm relationships? In Proverbs 16, 28, it says a perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. So there's a reason why Jesus in, in Matthew 18 sets out a very clear process for handling offenses in the church. And if you're not familiar, I, I preached on it a couple of months ago, but uh, it goes kind of along the lines of this. If there is an offense that you have against somebody, and you can't just forgive and forget, by the way. There's some things that you just need to handle with an element of grace and just say, I'm not going to hold it against them. I'm not going to make a deal. We're just going to go on. But say you can't do that. Step one is go to the person who sinned against you or who you think has sinned against you. Sometimes we're wrong about this. But go to the person who sinned against you privately, just you two. Step number one. Step number two is if they don't listen, take two, one or two, the Bible says witnesses. Not best friends, not people on my team, people that were there to see the interaction. If there is such a, you know, if there are people in the area that were there, somebody that, that has eyes on it, that knows the person and knows you. This helps affirm the truth of what you're saying, and as a check on you, maybe you're in the wrong. If you can't find two or three witnesses that are on your team, you might be the person who, who's <laughs> done, the, done the sinning. Um, if they still don't listen to you, though, step number three is you go to the church leadership. This is another check on you. Say, for instance, you get somebody that comes to you and they say, you sinned against me. And you say, no, I really didn't. And they get two of their buds and they come to you and they say, yes, all three of us say you sinned. You're like, but I really didn't. I really didn't. I know I didn't. Well, they go to the church leadership. The church leadership could say, all right, I've looked at this. You're getting people that are just on your team to gang up on this person because they're your friends but we're not doing that. So that serves as a check for that as well on you and brings in an element of authority. 
then only if you've already done those three things and they still don't listen then you can start as the bible says treat them as a gentile or a tax collector you disassociate you don't have that close fellowship with them if they're living in an unrepentant offensive sin towards you and again this is assuming this isn't something you could just forgive and move on but be ready to forgive and to mend the whole relationship if they become repentant that's the whole heart of the matter it's to win your brother even the last step, the disassociation and lack of fellowship, is hopefully to put some pressure to win them back. The issue is that everyone wants to first to disassociate and then tell the church. And that's usually, uh, usually in that order. And the huge problem with that is that the whole purpose in repairing the relationship is completely bypassed. If, and I'm sure this has happened to us, so this is not a hard analogy, if you've accidentally hurt somebody's feelings or said something that maybe wasn't clarified, it's a lot harder to repair the relationship if they go and tell 50 different people that you did something wrong and then you find out after the fact. To trust that person, uh, to, to even want to interact with that person after that. Because the relationship is getting destroyed every step of the way. This is why there's this process that Jesus lines out. It's very important. So, clue number three, is it gossip? Well, does it, does it harm relationship? Is what you're sharing tearing down relationships between people? And so if, if relationships are damaged by the words and the stories you relate to others, I mean, you might be a gossip. But thankfully, there's a better way. There's, there's some rubber meets the road, usable things that we can take to look at our speech before we say it to filter what we say, to take control of that little fire-starting flavor muscle that we have in our mouths before it sets the world ablaze. When training uh, FBI agents, for instance, to, to recognize counterfeit bills, you've probably heard that they don't give them counterfeit bills to practice with. They give them real bills. That way, when they become so familiar with the real thing, they'll spot a counterfeit in an instant. We, in the same way, can look at the Bible to see what our speech should look like. And if we get so good at telling what our speech should look like, we'll be able to avoid the ways of speech that we should not pursue. So again, and the one thing, and I mentioned it before, but not talking, everything I'm doing when we're talking about speech here, I'm assuming we already know that this is truth. We shouldn't be speaking lies. So that's one thing I, I don't really go into here. We often use truth as a reason, an excuse to voice our opinion on someone else. And again, that doesn't make it not gossip. It can be true, it can be gossip. And if you use that as an excuse to be like, well, that's the truth, well, look at your heart. Be, be careful there. So we're gonna go through three tests from Paul that you should apply to everything you say. And while there may be circumstances where maybe not all three of these will apply, if your speech fails all three of these, you might want to look at that. Very well could be gossip. We're going to look at Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29, Paul says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So the word edify is our first, our first test number one, our first filter that you should look at your speech. Your word should build up. That word edify means to build. And Paul states this as the, as the first 
filter we should be using before letting anything through our mouths. Is the person we're talking to better for what we, for what we say? Or is the person we're talking about going to be better for what we say? Or is there an element of building ourselves up? Maybe I come to fill with a question about something. Is the, is the purpose for myself to be edified as well? If nobody in the process is being built up, that's a, that's a red flag. We should use speech that builds, not speech that tears down. And the Bible in, in other verses says, you know, he who does not gather scatters. A lot of times if you're not building, it is going the opposite direction. There's, there's very few things that are just straight neutral. So test number one is what you're saying, building up the person. Are you, are you building them up in grace and in understanding and in truth to become more godlike? The second thing he says is, after he says it's, you know, only such a word is good for edification, says according to the need of the moment. Now this would eliminate 90% of gossip right here, is the question, does this need to be said? Not do I want to say it, not am I just burning to get this out or I need to be understood, does what is what you're saying necessary to say, if you're talking negatively about somebody else. And uh, all right. the old excuse of I'm just telling you so you can pray for them doesn't wash. That, that's, that's slapping a label on it, you know, just to try and, and get it to pass muster. But no, saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this negative thing about this person just so you can pray. It's not gossip, just so you can pray. It's, it's the same thing. Um, There's it, no excuse. You can ask for prayer for somebody else without giving details. You could just say, hey, my friend really needs prayer. They're having a hard time. You don't have to go into details say, telling everybody everywhere why. Paul tells us to only use words that fit the need of the moment. And if that negative thing doesn't need to be said, don't say it. You know, the, the old adage, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. If there's no purpose in saying it. Now, there's some times where you may say, well, you know, it's a negative thing, but it must be said. Um, if, for instance, I have an employee that steals from me, and goes to get a job somewhere else and that employer calls me and says, hey, I need some background on this guy. Should I put him in charge of my finances? I can season my words with grace, but I, there is a need there for me to say, well, there is a thing that happened. Um, you know, and, then, and that other employer might be better for it, even though my previous employee might not be too happy about it. That's not gossip, there's a need. But 90% of the things we spread that should not be spread, there's no need to say it. So test number three that Paul mentions is that your words should convey grace. He says so that it will give grace to those who hear. This is more looking at the effect that your words have and saying, okay, did that have the effect that Paul says my words should have the effect? Does the other person walk away from the conversation feeling kinder and more loving towards the person you're talking about than before? Do they feel worse about them? less loving towards them? Maybe we're not using our words properly. If they feel kinder, if they feel more grace-filled towards that person, those are the kinds of words that Paul wants us to use. And I don't just mean grace to the level that God has for us, because, you know, that's way far and above. You know, I'll boil it down even further, and I'll just say grace to the level that you have to understand that you're in the same boat. That you're just, you're just another passenger on that same exact ship. No different. 
there's a, a, a very short lecture was given by C.S. Lewis, and eventually I'd like to go through the whole thing because it's exceptionally, exceptionally good. But there's one paragraph where he's talking about it in the way that grace and what our view should reflect God's view of us. And he says, you know, there's one way in which God's view must differ from, from mine. He sees all of the characters. I see all except my own. In, in talking about the sin that's out there. But the second difference is this. He loves the people in spite of their faults. He goes on loving. He does not let go. Don't say it's all very well for him. He hasn't got to live with them. He has. He is inside them as well as outside them. He is with them far more intimately and closely and incessantly than we can ever be. Every vile thought within their minds and ours, every moment of spite, envy, arrogance, greed, and self-conceit comes right up against his patient and longing love and grieves his spirit more than it grieves ours. The more we can imitate God in these respects, the more progress we shall make. We must love that person more. And we must learn to see ourselves as a person of exactly the same kind. You know, earlier this year, I got the fire department called on me, but um, yeah, I, I had it under control. Um, but the moment I didn't have it under control, it would have been nice if they were there. I was burning off some fields at our new place, um, some grass, and it was going nice and slow, no problem. And I'm standing there with my shovel, making sure I pat out if it tries to get out of, out of control. And I get a phone call. I didn't leave. I stood right there. I watched my little fire and I picked up the phone call. And about the time I said hello and got two sentences in, a breeze came up and it blew my little flame into a bush, into my tree line and into the leaves in three seconds flat, no time at all. And then it took probably 20, 25 minutes for me to go around and pat all that out with my shovel, which was not fun. These are what our words can do. It takes no time at all. Three seconds can cause years of damage. We have to be more careful of what we say. As the Bible says to set a guard, David in Psalms asked God, set a guard over my lips, or over my mouth, keep a watch over the door of my lips. Why? Because this spirals out of control so fast. And once gone, once a word flies out like an arrow, you can't go get it back. It's very hard to do. We need to be careful about this, especially in the church. In the world in general, but especially in the church. We need to be careful about not destroying other people with our mouths. It's, it sets a bad example for our children. It's a horrible witness to the world. We need to use speech that builds up, that's different from everyone. Seasoned with grace. Words that edify. Words that are necessary, that need to be said. It's hard to do. But we can take a step in that direction by asking God to help us and to also just keep in mind before we speak, it's hard to do, think a little, apply some of these methods to look at it. Does this speech pass the filter of what God says we should have? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are full of grace. That you don't see us in the way we see others or the way that we see ourselves even. But that you love us in spite of our faults. Every thought that you have for us is for our good. To bring us closer to you. To live in a loving relationship in spite of all the wrong that we do. Help us to have that element of grace for others. 
to see them as you see them, as children of yours, even though they go astray and even though they hurt, that your love doesn't end for them. It continues forever. Help us to see them in that way. As David said, please set a guard over our mouth. Set a door or watch over the door of our lips. Help our words to be words that are spoken from you, not out of spite, not out of boredom, not out of scandal, not to tear down, not to dig into those delicious tidbits and delicacies that the world promises, but to build up, to edify, to bring people closer to you, to increase love among the brethren and to provide grace. We thank you that you care about this, that it's important enough to you to write to us in your scriptures about, that you're willing to teach us and to help us to maintain speech that you find acceptable. Lord, we ask that you continue to keep us and draw us ever closer to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.